Hi, this is LGBTQ and A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with activist, academic, and adult film performer Connor Habib. Stay tuned. Hey, Connor. Beautiful intro music. Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> Welcome to our show. Hi, thanks. Absolutely. Um, I don't actually know the proper lingo. I called you an adult film performer. Mm. Is it adult film? Is this a porn? Porn constellation will do just Constellation. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is there like one way of saying it or no? No, I mean, porn star, adult performer, doesn't matter. I mean, it depends on the context. Like if you want to, if you're like going to court and talking to OSHA about safety regulations, you say adult performer. But, you know, because you don't want to scare them. But normally porn star is just fine. Okay, perfect. Cool. <laughs> or porn performer. Porn. You know. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if like, one had like a nasty connotation that you should avoid. Well, adult performer does sound a little bit like you're going to a kid's birthday party and juggling dildos, but like it's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which it might be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I actually hesitate. I didn't know if we should have like someone who does porn in here, but the ultimate decision breaker was that I just don't think it should be something that me or anyone else should be afraid to talk about. Right, yeah. It shouldn't be that segregated from the rest of our lives or our discussions. Yeah, and that's a big part of queer and straight culture. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that with the younger generations, there there's less of a stigma like around it in general? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. <laughs> there, there are probably different kinds of stigmas, I would say, that are showing up. I don't know what those are yet, but we know so little about how younger people are responding to sex. And everybody wants to jump the gun and say, oh, they're learning bad things from porn or, you know, they're, they're just getting inundated with sexual images and all that kind of stuff. And all that really means is that older people are afraid now that younger people know more about sex than they do. So it's like, I, you know, I didn't. I don't know if the stigma has dimmed or not. I don't think anybody really knows. Okay, that's interesting. I know that, like, for my small focus group of my friends, when I said I'm interviewing a porn star, no one had a bad reaction. The only reaction was, oh, who? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like... And then you said my name, and they said, who? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, have you always enjoyed... Uh, have you always been, like, a sexual person and enjoyed yeah. it? Really? Yeah. I mean, it was no... You know, like, when I told my sister that I was doing porn, for example, she was like, huh, that's, like, the exact right job for you. You know? I mean, anybody that knew me well knew that I was just a very sexual person anyway and that I was and then that is I mean like everybody it's a big part of my personality but I didn't try to hide it away ever that was just me you know okay yeah and I I think there'd be like an issue if you did go into this thinking I can't let anybody ever know yeah I mean some people still do that which I think is pretty foolish (laughs) but yeah (laughs) yeah but I mean most people I think now you know they get the gist that you know, there's no keeping this under wraps if you do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that you picked the name Connor Habib and you kept a Middle Eastern uh-huh. heritage in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm half Irish and half Middle Eastern. So that was... The, oh, really? Yeah. So Connor Habib worked out. Oh, funny. <laughs> How did you pick those two? Well, Connor was the name of... Uh, so I was I was at a 
pub drinking for the first time in my life. I was 15. I was in Ireland and there were like, and I wasn't out yet. And there were two guys like sort of play gay, dry humping each other. And one of them kept going, Oh, Connor, Connor. And like, I'm like going crazy because I can't say anything to anybody. And like sparks are like shooting out of my you know brain. And I'm like, okay. So that burned uh, that name into my brain forever. And then Habib, like Habibi or Habibi means uh, beloved or sweetheart in Arabic, basically. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what do your friends call you? They call you Connor? Yeah. Every, I'm almost, almost everybody calls me Connor now. And that is, that's my doing mostly like... My birth name's Andre, like, it just sort of faded out because I started writing under the name Connor, doing all my sort of public stuff and lectures under Connor. So everything just sort of turned into this because I want to consolidate because it's confusing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there are people in my life that don't call me Connor, mostly who knew me before, you know? Okay. Yeah. Is, does it create like an alter ego? Like, is that important? No. I, you know, some people play it that way. Some porn performers, porn performers, see, that's what I said this time. <laughs> some porn stars play it that way. Um, for me, the really important thing was to just integrate everything. So, no, there's not really a split, you know? I just okay. try to be myself. I mean, if anything, um, you know, when that sort of liminal zone was happening, when I, before like everybody started calling me Connor, I would regard Connor probably as like the braver version of myself because it was like, oh, you're the one that goes and does the shit that he says he's going to do, you know? So hopefully I've caught up and earned the name a little more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to do porn, I assume that you, you are, think you're good at sex. <laughs> right? You want to say great? What adjectives we use? <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Um, maybe you think you're maybe. good. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. So maybe good isn't like quantifiable. Uh-huh. So I wonder like why you think you've been successful. <laughs> um, why have I been successful? That's a funny question because I don't always think of myself as successful. Um, not in a bad way. I just don't, you know, I'm just, this is not going through my head sure. quite so much. Um, I mean, I think, um, especially when I started, I looked different than everybody else. So, I mean, I started in 2007, I think. So, um, yeah, I think 2007, right at the end. And um, most people who are doing sort of more studio, like bigger gay studio porn, they didn't look like me. Um, They look still in this sort of 90s mode a lot of them were hairless had sort of perfect what we call perfect bodies where they had you know six-pack abs all that kind of stuff and I just had more of a normal body I mean I was in shape but I had more of a normal sort of like average kind of body but um I think that people were really sick of this standardization you know and they wanted something different and so I think having had that moment um, showing up at that moment in porn was pretty good. Like that went really well for me. But I also think, I mean, the thing that people say to me all the time is that I, I seem to enjoy it. So some of that is just performing. So that just means I'm a good performer. I'm like, act like it's yeah. just like some, you know, like, you know, Kate Blanchett shit. Like I'm just acting, you know, and I'm like <laughs> at the top of my game, but the you know, Kate some, Blanchett of porn. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, um, but some of it is that like, yeah, I'm really, I really enjoy, I really enjoy doing it. give me a percentage what percentage of scenes you shoot where you think okay well I'm not attracted to this person but I gotta fake it 
Huh. Well, I would never fake it. Um, what what you do is you find a way in. So, um, I, you know, I mean, people tend to think. I think this is a thing that messes people up sexually all the time. Like, like, oh, I gotta have chemistry. I have to be like attracted to someone. There has to be intimacy. It's like those are things you create. Those aren't things that are inherent in the situation. Now, sometimes it just shows up because of your upbringing, all the like, all the things that have happened in your life that have sort of created your weird personal unique matrix of desire right but i think people who are sex workers um in any field who are good they create their own intimacy so intimacy is a personal thing you go in you show up you find a way in how am i going to create intimacy with this person and chemistry with this person and then you do it and when, when, what are the things you're finding? Is it like a feature or like a characteristic? Or like- could be, could be a lot of things. It could be, you know, I mean, I did a scene where <laughs> early on now, this was someone that I was sort of naturally attracted to, but he was a little distant, you know? So like we started talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I was in, you know, I was like, all right, let's do this, you know? And it, and it like created a bond and a closeness between us. Or sometimes it can just be, yeah, I mean, I can just be looking at, a certain part of their body or imagining what their face is going to look like or whatever, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Um, you wrote somewhere that doing porn has created a sense of detachment around yeah. your own sexuality. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. That's one of the best things about doing porn is, um, I mean, people are so reflexive about sex. I, I like this. I don't like this. That, I'm not into that. You know, like people get really worked up about this kind of stuff and it's like when you do porn, if you do it well and you do it in a healthy way, it starts to sort of pull you away from your preferences and you get to actually just sort of enter in freely without all those stakes and all that sort of tenseness about like, I don't like this. I like this. I don't, I don't. you know, it's like, um, I think that, I think that attachment to preference is something really damaging to people's sexualities. You know, it's why people get away with saying things like, I'm just not attracted to black guys. And it's like, it's just a preference. It's like, no, that's like, <laughs> you, the preference is still not correct like stop being it, the preference might be there inculcated by culture but you can address and detach yourself from your preference you know and that i think is like once that starts happening all kinds of new experiences start to come to you and all sorts of experiences and different ways of seeing the world can come to you so it's why i think porn many porn performers they might have that the sexual racism is a good um is a good example. They might start only liking one kind of person. And then after a while that sort of loosens up and they begin to be able to be more attracted to more kinds of people. So, so how do you differentiate between a like unproductive preference that is built from a prejudice or something else and just like what you're into or not into? Um, I mean, I think they're all probably unproductive so or like i think they're uh, here's the thing it's like they're all fine and they're all bad the thing that makes it so is your intense attachment to them so that's why i say the detachment is is the healthy thing it's like um now that i'm not telling people let go of their preferences you know no one has a right to tell you to give up your preference but you also have and boundaries are there and no one has a right to push your boundary for you but if you're not investigating your own boundaries and preferences and all that. You're kind of like losing out on life, I think, and losing out on possibility and sex and all that. So this is must have drastically changed your relationship to sex in your personal life. Yeah, it, it changed it in a lot of ways, um, mostly positive ways. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things, it's this preference thing. It's like, you know, guys have this like, 
if you're ever at a gay bar and like some dude with like giant biceps and like big pecs and he's like six five like walks in and everybody does what I call the prairie dog where they all look you know like they all look over at once you know they're so in tune to that moment you know because it's this reflexive cultural thing oh that's who we're supposed to be attracted to at a certain point I was like oh I, I get paid to have sex with people that look like that like and that just fell away all the social shit and then I started seeing the people that started seeing other people that I was attracted to and who I might be sort of uh, now allowing myself to be drawn to now being more honest about it. Oh, wow. So if you don't have a stigma against porn though, how do you weigh like dating someone that does? If you don't, Oh, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm guessing that not everyone's as like, okay with it as you are. Well, yeah. I mean, people, people are all at their own sort of levels with it. You know, I mean, I think the important thing is again, I guess it's an attachment thing. It's like, it's more important that the person is willing to sort of work on it, hear you out, be there present with you and like move forward than it is like that they're in not the most accepting place, you know? Yeah. I think that one of the biggest surprises of my twenties was like my evolving view on monogamy Uh and how I'm able to, I'm not able to articulate exactly what I think and I'm okay with that, but I'm able to like have a conversation with somebody that I'm dating and say like, let's figure out what we're comfortable with. Right. And, um, five years ago I would have said, you're non-monogamous. Like, thank you. Goodbye. Enjoy your life. Uh God bless. (laughs) Um, do you find that like, has your view on monogamy changed and do you find other people's opinions can? I mean, I've been in monogamous relationships, um, but a long time ago. So, I mean, I was like 19, 20, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, uh, so, um, do I find, do I, are you asking me, do I think it's changing culturally or do I find it in individuals? I'm, what do you, do you I'm, I'm finding, um, like in terms of monogamy or in terms of like the stigma against porn and dating somebody in porn are, do people have the capacity to grow and change? Yes. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I see it in lots of people. I mean, you said it yourself and I think, our culture is happily sort of reevaluating monogamy. I mean, the real reasons for that one is just that people are living longer. So it's like till death do us part is a lot longer, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, when that, when that code was sort of invented, we were living, you know, like we are like death at 50. It's like pretty easy. Well, I'll just hold out till I die, you know, and then I get to have sex with virgins in heaven or whatever. But now it's like, Oh, I got to hold out like 60 years, 70 years. I don't know. So I think that's part of it. But I also think it's, um, you know, I think heterosexual people especially are be- becoming more open to it. I think, unfortunately, it might be that gay people are going the other way and conservatizing a bit more after sort of gay marriage has really permeated gay culture. But we'll see how that pans out. I mean, it'll take a while to see where that all lands. Yeah. I, I never thought about it, too. I guess by, like, design, if you're in porn, you're, like, quote-unquote not being monogamous. Right. Yeah. Right, so that's got to create something in, like, your partner if you're not. Monogamous. Right. Yeah, I mean, some guys have, like, what they call porn monogamous. Pornogamous. I don't know exactly how you say it, but pornogamous where it's like they just, they only do stuff with other people in their scenes, you know, because okay. that might not be threatening to someone that they're in the relationship with, yeah. you know, whereas uh, other kinds of sex. But then there's the opposite too, where 
a partner might have felt fine about an open relationship, but not the fact that everybody can see their partner having sex. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are those complications. I mean, honestly, I think people need to just get over it. But <laughs> that's that's it's a process for everybody. You know, I have my own process. Get over what? That you do porn or well, that porn exists? Well, no, I mean, like being in relationships with people who like are sex workers or want to do you know, or want, or want to have sex with other people, you know? I mean, I think monogamy is like the most widespread perversion in our culture and that's fine, but like just recognize that it's a perversion and enjoy it, you know, <laughs> like instead of pretending that there's something no more noble about it than anything else. Instead of like putting shame on it too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, fascinating. Um, I wrote down some stereotypes about porn. Okay. <laughs> I just want to go through them just because yeah. um, there are like misconceptions and maybe they're not even misconceptions. So tell me, feel free to elaborate. I, uh, a lot of guys are also rent boys and like hired escorts. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably find that with some of these stereotypes that, I mean, <laughs> stereotypes that exist because stereotypes exist. Yeah. Because people have, people have noticed or observed something. Yeah. I think a lot of porn performers are escorts. Okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sex workers do, if you have a skill to do one kind of sex work, you might be good in another kind of sex work. It's like, if you are, you know, a banker, you might be a good bank manager, you okay. know? <laughs> like if I play classical piano, I might play jazz. Exactly. You gotcha. might learn it. I mean, there are different skills like you're oh, saying, yeah. but yeah. Oh, okay, great. Uh, uh, I've heard a lot that many straight men do gay porn because it pays better. Yeah. Um, well, gay porn does pay better for most men than straight porn does. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it's an interesting question. I mean, they, they, they're identified as straight and people like to say, oh, well, they're just gay. But I think sexuality is a lot more complicated than that. And it just goes to show that straight and gay are really stupid labels for people, you know? Yeah. No, no offense to the LGBTQNA um, <laughs> title of the show, but these labels are not, you know, they're, they're just approximations. I mean, they are themselves stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that porn performers do not hook up with people outside of porn because of the fear of STDs. No, no, that that I can tell you, and I don't even know I how that would have been observed. I was told that by a from the the mouth of the dragon by a straight female performer. Well, that's wishful thinking on her part. Okay. I mean, some some maybe she was lying. Yeah, <laughs> she might have been lying to protect herself. And her or something. name was. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean. I mean, there is certainly if it, the thing about straight porn is, and it's different than gay porn is, a lot of those straight porn performers have scenes like three or four days a week, so that's a lot more content. So, when are they going to have the time? And also, like, it is a little more um, risky for them to have extra, you know, off-scene sex if they're shooting that often, you know, because you have to keep getting tested. This rigid testing schedule for most straight porn studios. So it's like, um, I think that might've been her experience. That's not, I mean, gay, gay porn stars don't shoot that much, you know, for the most part. Oh really? Yeah. What, how often would it be in a month? In a month? Um, I mean, at the height of my, at the height of my porn making, I was, uh, I think I did like seven in a month, you know? So that's not a lot, you know? I mean, it's still a lot and you know, I've done like two in a day sometimes, but it's, it's just not, you know, it's just not as big of an industry. So for like a 20 to 30 minute scene, how long is that shoot? Uh, oh, is that a day shoot? Yeah. Um, anywhere between four and 
12 hours, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the studio. I find this, the people, the directors that are more, the more talented the director is, the uh, shorter the shoot is because they're confident, they're secure. They don't need to like worry about getting a million different angles and then like having their talented editor get it down, you know? Okay. Are, are yeah. you still performing? Um, sort of. I mean, I did, I don't do it that much. I did a, uh, three scenes uh, a few weeks ago, right? Now, I mean, you can see me now. Hello, viewers. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in a porn body, quote unquote, but I, you know, there's a director named Joe Gage who, whenever he wants me to work for him, I'll work for him because I think he's like a genius. So he's very creative, he's very um, intense, brilliant person. And he's been making porn since the late 70s. So I, whenever he asks me, I'm going to go do it, you know? So yeah. I'm never going to retire quote unquote it's always something that i'd like to be able to do okay yeah what, what is it about these films that like make him genius with him well so he's been doing all sorts of things so his early films had this sort of weird psychedelic vibe you know and they're just unclassifiably bizarre if you watch some of them um so just look up his name and just go sort of earlier in the catalog the later ones they're all scripted and a lot of it is just based around tension so with him, we end up filming dialogue for like th- three hours and then the sex lasts like 40 minutes. You know, it's like it's very wow. quick because he really puts a lot of the sexuality and like the intensity of his scenes into the setup. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned your body earlier. Yeah. Is there a lot of pressure to like maintain or was there? Oh, there was. Yeah. I mean, now there's not anymore, you know, because I just don't care. Um, but I mean, I, th- I sometimes I say I'm a gay porn star trapped in a straight porn star's body. <laughs> not, I mean, some some straight porn stars have like six packs and all that kind of stuff, too. But I I mean, I think it's like um, there's a there's a whole um, when you're in it, a whole sort of inner idea of body dysmorphia and shame and all that kind of stuff that can really get to you if you're not if you don't have a really stable sort of sense of self right and i would go in and out of that so sometimes i would feel totally great and other times you know like i look back on some of my pictures where i have a six pack and i'm like i thought i was fat when i did that shoot you know i was like freaking out about how fat i was for that shoot and i have a six pack like what was i worried about you know also, like, the camera is literally all around you. There's mm-hmm. not, like, a better angle you could stand at. <laughs> You're not wearing, like, a shirt to hide something. Right. Although that's a trick that they do sometimes. If someone shows up and they don't have, like, the best body, like, they'll be like, just pull your dick out of your pants or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, all these tricks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was curious to read that you are, you're about your, like, religion. Uh-huh. You're fairly firm in your faith. Is that still current? Yeah. Well, I mean, my faith is weird, but firm, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I asked because you're teaching a new course on the occult. So yeah. I want to know how those blend. Yeah. So I um, I was raised a-religiously. So I was not, I had the um, good fortune of not being violated by religion like a lot of people do, uh, or like a lot of people are. I mean... You know, and then they grow up and they just have to crawl out of the wound, you know, and I don't I didn't have to. My mother was raised by religious fundamentalists. My father's from a village in the mountains in Syria and didn't have a strong religious background, you know. Um, So, you know, I was taken to churches as a kid and like, do you like this? Do you like this? You know, what do you think? And I was like, I'm kind of bored, you know, but I but I was always drawn to it on my own. So I got to explore and understand it on my own. So that's a gift. 
it's a real, it's a real gift. It's like having a good childhood, right? I mean, uh, which in a lot of ways I didn't, but in that aspect of my childhood, I had a great childhood. You know, it's like when you hear people, it's like, oh, my parents never fought. You're like, what? what? <laughs> you know, so that's my version of that. I just had a healthy relationship to religion as, as a kid, you know, and spirituality. So, um, yeah, so I developed it, you know, over time and I went through all sorts of stuff and sort of landed in this place with something called anthroposophy, which is this sort of uh, esoteric occult Christianity that was uh, founded in the late 19th, early 20th century, but really is connected to all these other streams of esoteric Christianity. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, you don't like go to church and you don't, you know, I mean, it's like, imagine if Christianity actually did what it said it's supposed to do. That's kind of what anthroposophy is, you know? Okay. Yeah. So is there like a daily practice? Are there holidays? Like, how's that? <laughs> no, it's not a religion. I mean, that's the thing. It's not, oh, okay. it's, it's, it's a way, uh, anthroposophists actually have a very difficult time expressing what this is. I mean, it's sort of just a way of being in the world. Um, so you, there's no dogma, there's no holy book, there's no, you know, I mean, there's not, there's barely a concept of God, actually. Um, there's all sorts of other occulty stuff about angels and uh, heavenly hierarchies and all that kind of stuff. But there's no, there's the, the talk about God is actually kept to a minimum. And there are no, sure, there are holidays, but they're, they're holidays that already existed. You know, there might be an emphasis on, like, there's an emphasis on this holiday called Michael Moss, which is existed before anthroposophy and people aren't you know, anthroposophists celebrate this, but Michael Moss. Yeah. So it's in September and it's a celebration of the Archangel Michael. Right. So it's like this and it's the turning of a season as well. So there's that kind of stuff, but it's like, if you don't celebrate those, nobody's cares. I mean, and there's no central, there's no central, uh, organization. I mean, there are centers, you know, where people can go. Sure. But there's no like, this is the decree, you know, there's no dogma. What is the word one more time? <laughs> it's anthroposophy. So it's set up by this guy named Rudolf Steiner. So anthroposophy. Yeah. So the divine feminine wisdom of man. So if you, if you have ever heard of Waldorf schools or biodynamic farms, like if you've ever had biodynamic wine, those were both invented by the same guy, Rudolf Steiner, who created anthroposophy. Or um, if you have community shared agriculture, he created that, basically created that as well. Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring and did the DDD, DDT ban, was highly influenced. Um, there are a lot of people in her, you know. So is your interest in the cult a part of anthroposophy or is it separate? It precedes it, but it's definitely, that's the, that's my home base for that stuff. Okay. So like when I need my vocabulary, that's where I go to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When this course that you're teaching, yeah. saw, what is it about the occult that you're teaching? So it's like a one oh one. No, it's well, so it's about how the occult intersects with postmodern philosophy. Postmodern philosophy is just my really broad term to describe philosophy that basically during and after World War II. So Western Western thought basically after during World War II. So, you know, these people who are just incomprehensibly difficult, you know, on both sides. The occultists are also very hard and, I mean, it's called the occult. You know, it's a occlusion. It's difficult for people to understand. So, um, and how those two sort of become understandable through each other in a way, but people who are occultists mostly aren't reading postmodern philosophy. People who are postmodern philosophers, certainly academics, don't give shit about the occult. So it's like, to me, that made them more understandable. Okay. Did, was, was there ever any worry that your porn career would 
overshadow or negate your like intellectual pursuits? <laughs> well, that I mean, it's part of why I did porn. Ultimately, it was like I was teaching at University of Massachusetts and Western New England College. Um, I was teaching English and literature, and writing, and I just thought, you know, if I don't do something to mess this up, I'm going to get a job as a professor, like full-time job as a professor, get tenure and then die. It's like, you know, like people were like, get married, have kids, die, you know? And so I was like, I better really mess this up. So, um, I did something and I thought, you know, for porn was like, I mean, I wanted to do porn earlier, you know, but the things we want to do in our lives for a long time, the reasons for them change, you know? And so at that point it was like, what's the thing I can do that's going to mess everything up, throw a wrench in the gears and screw up my future so that I have to be awesome if anybody's ever going to take me seriously again. Now, um, I'm still working on the awesome um, <laughs> and I'm still working. And, it, and there's this constant, you know, stigma in culture. Like people always want me to write about the same things or talk about the same thing, you know, so I have to like keep getting up on my own two feet and be like, no, I did this and I do this, you know, and they're all part of me and they're not separate. They're all, you know, they all meet in me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you did make the decision to do porn, what was the next step? Like, there's not just like a number you call and say like, I'm ready. Like, yeah. how does that go? Well, there are numbers you call and you just say I'm ready. I mean, basically what people do really? now. Yeah. Well, it's not a phone number, but right. it's like, <laughs> and that number is, no, it's like, um, you just send your photos into a porn studio. You know, I mean, most studios have a thing on their website that says become a model. So you just go on the site and you send your photos in and it's an application. It's like a job application. That's so easy. Yeah, it's so easy. And so, <laughs> I mean, they have to like you and they have to call you. And sometimes you have to be persistent. If they reject you, you might try again in you know a few months or like a year and you send it out to a lot of studios or whatever. But for me, it actually didn't go that way. For me, I was cast in a commercial right after I moved to San Francisco and the director's of that commercial on the porn studio. And I'd wanted to be in porn since I was a little kid. So I, um, since I was probably in middle school and, and they were like, have you ever thought about being in porn? And I said, have I ever not thought about being in porn? And then it just sort of took off from there. Why did you, I don't some say like, why do you want to be in porn? But like, was it like the subversive nature of it that attracted you? Hmm. Well, that was definitely part of it. Like I said, the reasons sort of change and move around in your life, you know. Um, when I was younger, the cool kids were talking about porn, you know. I mean, with some shame and some hee-hee-hee, but like, and I wanted to be what the cool kids were talking about. So there was that, you know. Also, I saw porn and I was like, why, like, that's a job? Like, why wouldn't everybody do that? That makes zero sense to me that people wouldn't just, that's like the best thing ever, you know. And then... You know, as you as I got older, yeah, there was this sort of subversive aspect that was like, what's something I can do that's actually radical? Now, you know, when you live in L.A. or San Francisco, New York City, you know, it, it might not seem as subversive, but the fact of the matter is there's so much cultural stigma still that porn stars have had their bank accounts closed um, just for being in porn. You can't use PayPal if you're a sex worker. Like, you can't have a PayPal account, which is crazy. 
Um, you can't uh, get certain jobs. You can get fired. There's relationship discrimination. Um, there's all sorts of things that are still that really reveal what a sort of radical position it is in this culture to be a sex worker. And I'm not saying that every sex worker does it for those reasons. I don't think everybody's like you know joining the <laughs> you know the resistance by signing up to be in porn. But that still happens as a result of the way they live their lives, no matter what. And part of that, I mean, it's just, it's absurd, really. I mean, if you think about it, the last movie you saw, if there was a sex scene in it, you saw everything except, you know, the penetration, probably. And so, you know, I just saw American Honey, and it's like, Shia LaBeouf is like pounding some girl, and you see his butt, and you see their naked bodies, and you even see like a little splash of his dick for a second, you know? And it's like, okay, like you like that's not pornography and so you know the difference between porn and and all that legalization and you know or all those like all that legislation and all that like anti-porn stigma and job discrimination and all that kind of stuff and a movie is like six inch i'll be generous to him maybe like eight inches you know <laughs> the difference between all the horrible things that happen to you and not i mean and that that's crazy you know, yeah. that's absolutely crazy. It's like, you know, the Janet Jackson nipple slip. It's like, what, like, that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars? Mm -hmm. You're kidding. And it's something that we are continuing to legislate. Even, is totally. it Prop 60 in the ballot? Yes. So what prop, is that? I'm glad you asked me about that. So <laughs> um, Prop 60 is a proposition in California that I and virtually every porn performer in the industry will uh, urge you to vote no on. Because it's uh, it l proposes to protect us, so it says, okay, well, everybody has to use condoms in porn, and everybody and producers have to pay for uh, testing, STI testing. Great STI testing that producers pay for. I'm all for that. The condom thing, I don't really have a stake in that. I don't have a dog in that because I, every porn I've ever done, I've used condoms. So I'm not anti-condom by any stretch in fact i <laughs> demonstrably pro condom in the scenes i've done but um it also establishes so that the guy that basically authored the proposition who uh, is part of the aids healthcare foundation he basically has written himself in that he'll get a state-funded position to legislate um, or to uh, to sort of control all the enforcement of this in California. So if the attorney general does not prosecute these cases, he'll be the one that does it. So he gets a state-funded uh, position. And if you are a resident of California and you see a porn that doesn't have condoms in it, you can initiate action through OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health, and if they don't do anything, it becomes a lawsuit. And that's when this guy then can take over if the attorney general is not prosecuting it. And in that lawsuit, if that's one, it's a civil suit, and there's a fine, you know, against the studio, which includes everybody that's part of that studio. So they all have to show up in court. If you're in the scene, you also have to show up, you know, and say like, hey, like, you know, I'm, I didn't, I don't have any control over, you know, the right. these. So if that's one by the prosecutor, then the person who initiated the lawsuit gets 25% of the money. So it incentivizes people to sue porn studios, um, incentivizes people to, and when those, when those lawsuits go into action, um, 
all the performer's personal information is part of that. And it's sort of like give, made public, right? All their personal information, their name, their yeah. address, all that kind of stuff is part of legal documentation. Also, if you're a porn studio that's not located in California, but you shoot in California and there's no condoms, like you can, that whole lawsuit thing can happen. So if there's a studio in New York, then that lawsuit thing happens. Then everybody that was involved in that shoot, the performers, the cameraman, they have to show up at court and be like and say either we didn't shoot it in california or so even if they don't shoot in california yeah so it's the whole thing is like a giant mess and it's set up by someone who has had a very contentious relationship with the porn industry to say the least um and i think it's you know there are a lot of people who in the porn industry i would say I would say universally, but of course there are a few exceptions. All performers are like, no, this is a terrible idea because this affects us in a lot of ways. And bottom line is, all that aside, why shouldn't we be able to have sex, you know, the way that we want to have sex and the way that we want to... We have great protections in place for, you know, a lot of the studios. There are some that don't. And we can deal with those other ways than, you know, punishing all the people that are doing things the right way, you know? So... Um, let me just add at the end of that so I don't get sued. If I got any facts wrong, then I apologize. This is all allegedly. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, no, thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so specific, Mm. like what they're trying to regulate. Well, it's one of those things that sounds like a good idea at first, like first blush. You're like, oh, great. STIs, great. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But, but it requires a lot more knowledge about it. And so that's, that's the thing that's a little scary about it. It's a little bit like prop eight in the sense of people were very confused about what was actually being proposed. I mean, it's not, I don't know that it's intentionally manipulative language, but it like that was, but yeah. Wow. Um, so, so what is next for you? Um, what is next for me in life? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm writing all the time, you know, and so that's one of my jobs is as a writer, but I haven't published anything this year. I've been working on sort of bigger projects. I literally just before I got here to the studio, finished a screenplay. Um, first time I've ever done that. So that feels great. Um, and I have had a book in the works for a long time. (laughs) Um, and that's that's sort of more of a slow burn, but basically it's like I write essays, I've wrote this screenplay, I wrote a play, you know, sort of like kicking these projects into the public, you know, sphere. So that's what's going on and Sweet. you know, I'm teaching this course, but I think by the time this episode comes out, that course might have already happened. Okay. Yeah. Well- well, it too late. Um, if you want to know more about you, should we send them to your Twitter, your social media? Twitter is the best way. It's the only social media I have. So it's just at Connor Abib, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-V-I-V. And it's, um, it's, I'm, I'm, I always say that like my tombstone will say hashtag he was nicer in person because sometimes I'm a bombastic jerk on Twitter, just like everybody. But I am also very snuggly on there too at oh, times. Yeah. okay yeah. they've been for a war it's okay and you are very nice in person <laughs> thank you <y'all>. thank you <laughs> of course and all of our stuff is on itunes and on youtube if you want to see our faces um if you love our show tell everyone you know we'll see you next time bye, bye. from executive producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek and the entire AfterBuzz tv staff we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz tv network 
to watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.